Now is not the time for the church to shrink back. Now is not the time for us to play it safe. Now is not the time for us to wish that we were living in a different period of history or to become comfortable or content. No, now is the time for us to rally around the mission of God like never before. Now is the time for us to join in the unstoppable momentum that has brought us here so that we can change the world for the sake of Jesus. First Church, this is our moment. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited to see what God is going to do in and through us. Well, hey, welcome to First Church. I am excited about today. Let me hear you guys excited to be here today? Yeah. yeah. It's a big day here at First Church. Before we get started, I want to welcome in our online family. I know we have a whole bunch of people joining us from across the globe. And right now, I just looked, and we've got Rick in Kansas, Suzanne in Virginia, Jacob, who's joining us right before he has to go to work, and a bunch of others. So if you would, welcome in our online family. Let them know we're glad they're joining us for worship here today. And like I said, today is a special, special day. We believe this is going to be a historic moment in the life of our church as we wrap up our Momentum series. And during this series, we've been celebrating all that God's been doing over the past year here in our church, but also we are rallying around His vision for our future. And if you're new here, we just want to let you know this is Commitment Sunday, so it's going to look a little different, and we don't want you to feel awkward or feel out of place if this is like your first Sunday here, if you've only been here for a few weeks. We're excited that you get the chance to observe and witness what's going to take place here today, because this is a moment where we get to see God's church take a huge step of faith. And for those of you who have been here for a while, you know exactly what today is all about. This is the midpoint of our unstoppable initiative. We are one year into a two-year initiative where we wanted to do more ministry than ever before, so we challenged our church to commit to being engaged in God's mission like never before. And so today is a day for us to maybe commit for the very first time to Unstoppable. If you are somebody who's joined our church in the past year or so, or you didn't make a commitment last fall, or it's a chance to recommit your engagement to God's mission, the mission that he has given us here at First Church. Because last fall, when we launched our Unstoppable Initiative, we rallied around this key verse, this promise from Jesus in Matthew. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, that verse, we had read it before, but it really resonated a year ago because our church and churches across the country were going through so much. There's so much darkness and chaos and uncertainty in our world today, and it's easy to get down and depressed because of it. But we looked at Jesus' promise here, and we were reminded that as long as Jesus is leading our church, as long as Jesus is guiding our church, he's the head of the church, he is building up our church, then we know that all the powers of hell will not be able to stop what he is trying to do do through us. And so last fall, we launched this unstoppable initiative. And over the past year, we have seen God work in our midst in incredible ways. And during a time in history when people are talking about how the church in America, the church in Western culture is struggling, and that's what a lot of people are saying, the opposite has been happening here. 
God's gracious hand has definitely been upon us. And if you haven't been here over the past year, here's a quick highlight video of what we've been experiencing. Yeah, we believe. Yeah, you can clap for that. Yeah. We're convinced that when the world is at its worst, it needs the church at its best, that that's why we're here. And I love celebrating all that God is doing. I love seeing the record attendance numbers. I mean, we've had a 20% increase in our attendance this year. Overall, 30% increase in our in-person attendance. Our next-gen ministries are exploding right now. Right now, when it comes to our projected giving, we are at 115%, which is awesome. We've had over 260 new families come to our church in the past year since we launched Unstoppable. I mean, God is doing incredible, incredible stuff. But what excites me the most is seeing lives change. You know, those baptisms at the end of that video and also the other stories of life change that we hear about. That's what we are all about here at First Church is seeing Jesus change, transform people's lives and that's why you see the construction taking place out front. We are building a new First Kids facility, but I've said over and over again, this building is not just a building. Anybody can build a building. This is a resource that we believe God is enabling us to construct so that we can reach the next generation. Because here at First Church, we're convinced that God wants to do something great in our culture right now. He wants to change our culture for the sake of his son. And one way that we believe God wants to do that is by raising up a new generation, the next generation that is on fire for God. And God is positioning the church to do just that. I've shared with you before a recent study that came out from the Barna Group just about a year ago, and they surveyed Generation Z, which those are, that's the next generation coming up after the millennials. They're ages 10 to 25 right now. So on the upper side of Gen Z are those students who are in college and graduating college. And of Gen Zers in America today, 72% of them who are polled said that they believe the church offers hope for the world. That's not just Christian Gen Zers. That's all Gen Zers. 72% believe the church has hope to offer to the world. And then when they talk to 
followers of Jesus who are part of Gen Z, 78% of them said that they are actively having faith conversations with people who are not Christians. Gen Z is more evangelistic than any generation that has recently come before them. And when asked what the number one thing is that they wanted out of the church, you know what Gen Z said? They want their faith to make a difference in the world. See, I believe God is stirring up something. He's building momentum in the next generation so that there can be a revival to take place in our country like we have never seen before. And if that's the case, then we need to be the church that God knows the next generation needs because we're all about changing lives. And as we change one life at a time, we change the culture around us. Last week, my daughter came home with this little piece of art, if you want to call it art, uh, but it says, Addie, that's my daughter's name, Addie can have an unstoppable influence. And I bet if you have a kid in our first kid's ministry, they probably came home with a similar coloring sheet. This is what we're teaching our five-year-olds. We're teaching them from a very young age. They're not here to be space takers. They're here to be difference makers, to have an unstoppable influence in this world. I know that the world looks dark at times. I know the world can be a discouraging place to live, but church, in the words of Esther, I'm convinced that we are here for such a time as this. We are here because God wants to use us to transform the culture around us. But we have a decision to make. Are we going to build upon this momentum that he is stirring up or are we going to let it die? Because we do have that choice. That's why Paul warns when he writes to the church at Thessalonica, he says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. God can stir something up, but it's our choice whether or not we use it. And so on this day, as we wrap up our momentum series, I want to ask you the question, how do you want to be remembered? When it comes to your life, when you breathe your last and people look back on your days, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want your family to be remembered? How do you want your marriage to be remembered? How do you want this generation to be remembered? How do you want our church to be remembered? Just the other day, about a week or so ago, Alice and I, we were watching um, Kentucky play football. I know that's a shock for those of you who know me that I was watching Kentucky play football, but they beat Mississippi State last Saturday. It was awesome, and it was a great top 25 win, but during that game, I witnessed one of the most egregious personal fouls I have ever seen in my life. And this is gonna be hard to watch, but I wanna show it to you for a point. Now, the cameras missed it when, it when it first happened, but they go back to other camera angles, and you'll see it at the end of this video. Take a look at this terrible, terrible foul. Cavassier smoke. Oh, man. State visibly frustrated. We'll see. After the play was over, personal foul on the defense, number 19. And that's their roughness blow to the head. 15-yard penalty, first down. That's Colin Duncan. Emotions are boiling over here. Oh, yeah, the reaction on Tayshaun. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh that was God. sensational. Folks, if you have young children at home, shield their eyes. This, you will, you don't want to see this kind of violence on the field. We just hope Tayshawn Manning's okay after that one. 
Yeah, it's been called the flop of the year, okay? <laughs> now, Allison and I watched that live, but our kids fell asleep during the game. So that week, Alex, my nine-year-old, we were watching highlights on SportsCenter and ESPN. By the way, that clip made the SportsCenter not top 10, okay? And so we were watching everybody make fun of that clip. And Alex looked at me and he goes, Daddy, that is so embarrassing. And I was just like, yeah, it is. But I was trying to take a positive spin, you know, make a positive spin. I said, but at least he made, you know, the highlight reel on SportsCenter. And Alex looked at me and he goes, I don't think I'd want to be on SportsCenter for that. And you know, he's right. There are some things in life you just don't want to be remembered for. You don't want that reputation. You don't want to be known for that. And so let me ask again, as a church, as a follower of Jesus, how are we going to be remembered? Because God is giving us a chance, an opportunity to carve out a legacy right now that won't just change the culture around us that we see right now, but also has the potential of making an impact for generations to come. And we've been studying in this Momentum series the book of Acts, which is the early history of the church, the earliest history of the church, when the church was first forming. And the church, in spite of opposition, I mean, they were experiencing persecution and financial problems, and they were experiencing famines and even inside corruption and all sorts of stuff. They, were, they had their share of problems, but in spite of all that, they were able to change the world around them and impact the world for generations to come. Those early Christians changed the course of human history. And you know why? It's because I believe they were people who had unstoppable grit. Because no matter what they faced, no matter what they were up against, they knew this. They knew greater is he who is in them than he who is in this world. And that's why within a few decades, the church grew from a relatively small group meeting in one location to a multi-ethnic global movement that turned the world on its head. And we are now a part of that. And the reason why the church continues to move forward is because throughout history, Christians have been fully committed to the mission that Jesus has given us. And I don't think there's a better illustration of that in the book of Acts than what we see in Acts chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, we're going to be in Acts chapter 14 today. And we're going to look at a scene that takes place on the very first missionary journey Ever, as Paul and Barnabas are sent out with their companions to tell people who have never heard about Jesus about Jesus. And in Acts chapter 13, we find out that they are sent out by the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch prays over them, commissions them, sends them out. And so Paul and Barnabas and their companions, they're sent to the area of Galatia, which is an area that didn't know about Jesus. And let me just give you a quick summary of their first few stops. They first stop at this island, and while they're there, they start telling people about Jesus, and they have great success while they're there. A lot of people come to believe in Jesus, but they are confronted by a powerful, influential sorcerer who's kind of controlled the people for a while, and he's mad that now Paul and Barnabas have all this influence, and so they confront him head on, and God intervenes, and Paul and Barnabas aren't stopped, but still, they have to face opposition right off the bat. Then these missionaries, they travel on to their first major city. 
And in their first major city, again, they have great ministry success. People are coming to know about Jesus, but the local leadership again gets jealous of Paul and Barnabas and their companions. And so they run them out of town, literally. So what do Paul and Barnabas do? They go on to another city, and they move on to their third stop. And on their third stop, again, they're having great ministry success, but... The people are so jealous, the leadership there is so jealous that they actually come up with a plot in order to kill Paul and Barnabas. They want to have them executed. And the missionaries hear about this plan to have them assassinated, basically, and they get out of town. And you would think that after all these things happening to them, it just seems like a closed door after closed door after closed door, all this opposition, all this hostility, you might think that the mission is over. But that's not how Paul and Barnabas responded. You know they responded? The Bible says they kept on. Would you say those two words in green with me out loud? They kept on. Let's say it again. Do it loud. They kept on preaching the good news. And so they move on to another city, the city of Lystra. And in Lystra, once again, they have great ministry success. And the reason why they keep going, the reason why they don't give up, is because they were fully committed to the mission of Jesus. They were, to steal a phrase, and I know this is gonna sound cheesy, but I'm gonna say it because you won't forget it, their faith was too legit to quit, okay? Their faith was too legit to quit. They so believed in Jesus. They were so convicted by the good news of Jesus Christ. They so held on to the hope of the gospel and they believed that tomb was empty. They were too legit to quit and so they kept on going. And they come to Lystra. And while they're in Lystra, they're having some more success. But once again, as they're having success, problems arise. Now, before the problems come up, though, they're having such success that the people start to misunderstand why Paul and Barnabas are there. In fact, the people start to worship Paul and Barnabas themselves as gods. I mean, they're missing this whole thing. And the scripture says this. It says, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes. They were upset and they rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things, these idols, these false gods, to the one true living God. Paul and Barnabas run out and they say, don't worship us, we're just men. We're pointing you to the true God, the living God. And then even with them trying to persuade the people, look at what happens. It says that even with these words, they had difficulty, Paul and Barnabas had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. I mean, that's how much the people believe in Paul and Barnabas, that they're misunderstanding who they are and they're worshiping them as gods. But it's amazing how quickly things change. Because in the very next verse it says, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. These are the previous places that these missionaries have stopped. Remember the Jews were out to get them, the Jewish leadership? Well, these Jews traveled down to Lystra and they won the crowd over. Now, the crowd is getting ready to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. But within just a little while of these Jewish leaders coming from other towns, influencing them, the crowds turn against Paul and Barnabas. So much so, look at what it says. They, the people of Lystra, they stoned Paul 
and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. I almost feel unworthy to read those words. Simply for telling people about Jesus, Paul is stoned. A horrible, terrible form of execution where you were beat with rock after rock after rock until you breathe your last. Simply for telling people about Jesus, he's not causing a riot. He's not committing a crime. He's not rebelling against the political world of his day. He's simply telling people the good news of Jesus. And they stone him. Assuming he's dead, they then drag his lifeless body to the outskirts of town to be taken care of by the wild animals. When I read those words, and I think about the things that I have to give up for the sake of Jesus in my life today, my sacrifices don't seem that big at all. But I want you to notice what happens next. Because I think this passage is given to us for a couple reasons. One is to let us know one day the world's gonna love us and the next day the world's gonna hate us. Isn't that true? You know, one day when there's a hurricane in Florida, the world wants the church to step in and help. <laughs> but then the next day when we start to teach them the truth of God's word and it goes against what popular culture believes, then all of a sudden what we're teaching is considered hate speech. Guys, we will never be in the majority all the time in this world. But we don't live for the majority's approval. We live for Jesus. And that's why what happens next is so important. It says they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead and then look. But after the disciples, the Christians there in Lystra had gathered around him, I'm assuming to pray, he got up and went back into the city. I don't think there are three more powerful words in this passage than those words right there. He got up. Think about this. After being confronted by an evil sorcerer, after being chased out of town, after having his life threatened, having plots against him and his missionary companions, and then being executed, and they thought he was dead. They stoned him and left him for dead. After experiencing all that for simply telling people about Jesus, Paul got back up, and he went back into the very city that had just stoned him. Why? What gave him this unstoppable grit? Because for him and for those early Christians, Jesus wasn't a hobby. Jesus wasn't a pastime. Jesus wasn't a mere entertainment venue. Jesus wasn't a mere tradition that they were following. No, Jesus was the source, the meaning, and the purpose of their lives. And they believed that the tomb was empty, that Jesus defeated death. And because Jesus is alive, they got back up again. Amen. And they kept on going. You see, they were betting their lives on the hope that is found in Jesus. Now, I don't have much experience in this area of life, but I've been told that the difference between a professional gambler, one who gambles professionally, and an amateur gambler is that a professional gambler never puts anything on the table, never bets anything that he or she can't walk away from. 
Amateurs bet their rent money. Amateurs bet their mortgage payment. Amateurs bet their car payment or their kids' lunch money. Professionals don't do that. Professionals never put anything on the table that they're emotionally tied to. They're physically tied to. They never put anything on the table that they can't walk away from. And I'm afraid that as I look around the church in our culture today, we have way too many professional churchgoers. People who show up, but they never put anything on the table for God that they can't walk away from. Their sacrifices really aren't sacrifices because they're not emotionally tied to what they're giving to God. They can walk away from it any time. They're not spiritually tied to it, physically tied to it. They never put anything on the table for God that they can't walk away from. There's this idea in our culture today that even if we all wake up one day and we discover that Christianity isn't true, that this has all just been a farce, that the Bible isn't true, the resurrection never happened, that even if we wake up one day and we discover that this has all been a dream, it's still been a pretty nice way to live, that Christianity is just a nice way to live. It's a good way to live. It's a good moral way to live. And so even if we wake up one day and this has all been a farce, at least it's been a pretty good dream. Do you think Paul and his companions would have said that? I don't think so. Do you think the reason why Paul got back up and went back into the city because Christianity was a pretty nice way to live? Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about everything that he went through for the sake of the gospel. And look at what he says. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. We just read about that. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. But if this has all been a farce, it's been a really nice way to live. If I'm dreaming, let me dream on. Now Paul tells us what the result is if all this is a farce. He goes on to say, or in 1 Corinthians, he says, and if Christ has never been raised, if this isn't true, then the message we tell is worth nothing, and your faith is worth nothing. See, Paul and these early Christians were betting their lives that the resurrection of Jesus and the hope that we have in his resurrection is true. And because Jesus is alive, they continued to get back up and they kept on going. And you know, one day I, I imagine that I will probably stand beside the Apostle Paul, I hope at least in heaven, and probably other martyrs who have died for their faith, those who made huge sacrifices so that our generation could have the gospel. And as I stand beside those martyrs one day, those great men and women of faith, I hope that the only struggle that I have to talk about isn't the toilet paper crisis of 2020. Guys, I want a better story than that. I want to be more committed to Jesus than that. 
And I know, I get it. The world we live in today is a tough place for Christians to live. The church isn't respected like it was years ago. Christians are treated differently today than what they were in our grandparents' generation. Our culture is probably more hostile to the message of Jesus than ever. And the culture continues to push us down. But even so, we get back up and we keep on going. Society is changing. The political world has become more and more polarized. As we look around our world, we hear about wars and rumors of wars all the time. Our children are told that they are mere accidents and they're treated like experiments. Hopelessness has led to a senseless devaluation of human life. The biblical view of sexuality is not just considered outdated, but it's even offensive. Racial tensions continue to grow. Emotions have been replaced uh, have replaced truth and chaos abounds and in those moments we are tempted to quit but we get back up and we keep on going and as Christians we face personal difficulties the curse of sin hits us just like it does everybody else and there are strains on our marriages and we face financial burdens and parenting battles and we suffer miscarriages health scares and loss of loved ones we continue to get to be bombarded by this world around us but we live for something greater and so we get back up and we keep on going and God's church oftentimes isn't what it's supposed to be we hear about national scandals from so-called Christian leaders and we see Christians post things on social media that embarrasses Jesus and we hear Christians say things that they shouldn't say and they embarrass the church and even within our own local church sometimes we don't seem to have the resources or the volunteers or the people or the manpower or the energy to do what God is calling us to do but even though the church isn't perfect we get back up and we keep on going why because 2,000 years ago in a bar old tomb Jesus got back up and because he defeated the grave we have reason to keep on going for us Jesus isn't a fairy tale for us Jesus isn't just a good moral teacher in history no for us Jesus is the source the meaning and the purpose of life and because he is alive in us we have the hope of glory and no amount of stones thrown in our direction can take away the hope of glory that he has given us. Now, doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. Jesus never promised it would be easy. John 16, Jesus says, in this world you will will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we're gonna have trouble, but he's with us and if he is with us, then we can keep on going and it makes me think that maybe What we're facing today as a culture isn't as overwhelming as we think. Maybe our faith is just out of shape. See, I coach little kids in soccer, and at the start of every soccer season, (laughs) they often complain about the drills that we're doing, that they're too hard. And what's funny is those are the same drills the same kids were doing at the end of the last season. (laughs) Why are they too hard now when they weren't before? It's because they haven't been practicing in the off season, and they're out of shape. Maybe what God is asking us to do with him on our side is not that difficult, not that overwhelming. We're just out of shape. See, I love how this passage ends. Paul and his companions, they go back to the church at Antioch. After they've been through all this, they report everything that's going on. 
And what's interesting is if you were somebody sitting in the church at Antioch listening to all this, you might be thinking, man, was this a waste of our finances, our resources? Was this a waste of a missionary journey? Because look at all this opposition that Paul and his companions faced. But that's not how Paul described it. Listen to how Paul described it. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. See what Paul says? Yeah, it was tough. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, it was rough. But you should have seen God work. You should have seen the lives that were being changed. You should have seen the churches that were being started. You should have seen the marriages and families that were being restored. People were throwing away their idols. You should have seen God on the move. And as he talked, you could tell he couldn't wait to go back. And I believe that's what we are being called to do today because to the committed, the door of ministry is always open and the potential for harvest is unlimited. You've probably heard me say before, I believe we are living in one of the greatest periods of human history. You know why? Because there are more people on the face of the planet today who don't know who Jesus is than ever before in the history of the human race. And here's the thing, people, because of everything that we've experienced over the past couple of years, are hungry for something more. They are looking for something spiritually more and we have what they're looking for and Jesus calls us to be fishers of men and if you're a fisherman and you go out and the fish are everywhere and they're biting that's a really good exciting day we are living in one of the greatest periods of human history and now is a time for us to join in the unbroken chain of people who fell so in love with Jesus that they committed their lives to a purpose that was bigger than themselves God's call was tough for men like Moses, Joshua, David Elisha, Stephen, Timothy, Titus, and Peter. It was rough for women like Ruth and Esther. It was even tougher still for Jeremiah, Daniel, Job, and Paul. But in the midst of everything that they were facing, they continued to get back up, and so do we. Because the same God who is with them is with us today. And the same God that has brought us to this moment in time will see us through. He is still on the move, he is still alive, and he is giving us all the momentum we need to make a difference in this world. When we started this Momentum series, you probably saw a video of me out by an abandoned train turnabout and train station. This was actually in Colorado. It was near where Youthquake is. I went to Youthquake and got to film this video while I was there. And we went there because there used to be a turnabout like that here in Owasso. It's not there anymore. It's been gone for years and years. That's actually how Owasso got its name. Owasso is an Osage Indian term that means the end of the line because Owasso was the end of the rail line. Couldn't go any further. It was years before the Santa Fe Railroad went on into Tulsa. So we were known as the end of the line. That's what we got our reputation for. So we went there to film this because we had a turnabout kind of like that one. And what was interesting is I was talking to the curator of this abandoned train depot and he was telling me, you know, years ago there was life in this city because he said you would hear the train whistle and You knew that there was life. The train was bringing resources. The train was bringing people. And the train was bringing energy to this little town. But then when the train stopped coming through, the town just dried up. And so he said, we're trying to restore it. I said, oh, you're trying to get trains to come back through? And he said, no, we're turning the old depot into a museum. I said, oh, okay. And then he gave me something. He gave me and the other media guys, tech team that came with me to make the video an old railroad spike. He said it's probably 100 years old. They find them all around the yard there. He said, here, you can have a piece of history. 
And I really appreciate that. I'm a history guy, so that was cool. I keep this in my office. But it hit me. Here at First Church, the train depot in Owasso may not be here anymore. But the church is. And we're not building a museum here. We're carrying out a mission here. And what hit me was this momentum series and Unstoppable, it's not about giving people a piece of history to hang on to. It's about making history for the sake of Jesus Christ. And I am so excited to be part of a church that gets that. Here's a couple in our church that gets that. Take a look at this video. I'm Dustin Jones. And I'm Caitlin Jones. We've been married for three years. We've been attending First Church for about two years now. We both serve in midweek uh, with the high school ministry. And uh, for me, it's just pouring into those, those younger uh, men, really. And so to be able to be a part of their lives and create those relationships and kind of be a role model or an example or just kind of be by their sides as they walk through their faith, uh, it's, that's awesome for us. Yes, 100%. So I started out just as a door greeter, and I'm still doing that, which I love. And he's also an usher, which he forgot to mention. But we started out doing that, and then he jumped into midweek first, and I kind of watched him and just saw what he did. And I kind of got just last minute put into uh, the youth quake that they did um, in the summer. So I went, and I was actually really nervous about that. I didn't know how I would do with the kids, just because I didn't know any of them really, but I jumped in and I just was blown away. One, by the kids themselves. They are the most bright, intelligent. You could tell they all were invested and they just wanted to be there. And that to me, it just made my heart so happy. And so after that, I'm like, you know what? I want to be more involved. Like I want to help. I want to help pour into these kids. And so I started doing midweek, even though I was a little nervous about that, and it's, it's honestly been the best thing. I have a group of freshman girls, and I'm just excited to get to know them and to hear just how their relationship grows with God. And it's, it's really just amazing to watch, even the worship. That's my favorite part. It brings me to tears every time watching them worship. We knew that our commitment was going to be bold for us. Uh, and at that time, she was actually a uh, she was practicing as a doctor of chiropractic, and so we had two incomes, and then we decided that uh, we're gonna both dive headfirst into our own business, and so we lost that part of our income, but our, our commitment was still there, so it was, a, it was a big topic of, do we cut back because, you know, our, our income has changed, or, or what do you do there? And we made that commitment, and, you know, by all means, that was going to be made regardless. Yeah, and we stuck to it, even though we had months where it was challenging, um, to say the least, but it's just one of those moments where you pray and you show your faithfulness and be diligent, and that's what we did, and that's what we chose to do, and every single time, like, he showed up. God showed up every single time. He got us through that, so, yep. like, that's just, just shows how amazing he is. And it goes to our kid, not only our kid, but, but yeah. to all the other kids too. So it's like, who, why, why would you take away from, from them in that moment, you yeah. know? So, I mean, it's, like she said earlier, it's, it's pouring into the church, you know, the church is pouring into those kids specifically, and that's our mission. And we committed to that, and our church together is committed to that. So it's got to happen.
Yeah. For us, in our commitment, we're going to finish strong, 100%. We're going to just stay diligent and faithful and continue just putting our trust in God and in our church community and just continue praying. I'm Dustin Jones. And I'm Caitlin Jones. And we're Unstoppable. Unstoppable. <laughs>from now when our first kids building is finished I don't want for future generations to look around at that building and say oh what an cool awesome building I want for them to look at that building and say what faith that generation our generation had to build that in the midst of such uncertain times if you were here with us at the beginning of our Momentum series, you should have got one of these commitment cards. And if you didn't bring it with you today, there's one in your pew with a pen. And this is what we're gonna do. Here in a minute, we're gonna have a chance for you to turn in these commitment cards. And there's two spots here. So let me explain this real fast. The orange part at the top is for those of you who haven't made a commitment before. Because we know we've had a lot of people join our church and some of you guys were new last fall and we told you, hey, just wait. You don't have to make a commitment. We don't want anybody to feel obligated to do this. We want you to do it out of love, commitment. And so if you want to join in Unstoppable for the first time, you can check this box. And what we're asking you to do is write in what your projected giving will be for the next year. And I'll explain here in a second why that's important. If you're already committed, if you made a commitment last fall, then this purple spot is for you. And so you can write in what your current two-year, the whole thing commitment was that you made last fall. And if you want to finish strong with that commitment, and we pray that you are, just check that box. I'm committed to finishing strong because we know it's tough for some people. I mean, my family, we made a commitment unlike anything we'd ever made to the church before last fall. And here recently, we've experienced a whole lot of medical bills and things that we weren't expecting. But you know what? We're going to finish strong because we believe in the mission of the church. But I know some of you, maybe you're at, a, you're at a point right now where maybe you could increase that commitment. So there's a second box you can check that says, increase my two-year commitment too. And you can put down your entire two-year commitment, including the increase in that next box. And this may not be everybody, but it might be you. But wherever you fall on this, we ask that you check a box and that you sign it at the bottom. And the reason why we ask you to fill this out, the reason why we ask you to sign it is because we want to be good stewards. We don't want to spend money that God isn't giving us basically. We wanna be good stewards and so somebody could fill out a card and put down, we're gonna give a million dollars and not sign their name and how do we know that's real or not, you know? Listen, this remains confidential. I never see the names on these cards. None of our ministry staff ever sees the names on these cards. Only our financial director sees it and then she sends it off to a third party to keep track of everything. It remains completely confidential. The only thing that we see are numbers, we don't see names. This is just so that we can have accountability and know that we are being good stewards with God, with what God is doing, what God is giving us. So we're gonna give you two minutes, three minutes or so, just with some music playing, for you to fill out your card. If you're online, you can go to the online chat. There's a link for you to fill out a digital card if you want to. You can go to our app as well and do that. But you can fill out your card with your family, pray about it, and then here in just a minute, I'm gonna come back up and I'm gonna tell you what to do with it.